topic that does apply to us is our sexuality. And you might say, no, no, it doesn't apply to me anymore. Um, I know for sure that nursing homes have problems with people sneaking out of rooms and getting into other people's beds, and there's guards on watch that take place, just to let you know that. You might say, well, sexuality doesn't apply to me. It does apply to us, and this is what we're going to look at it to see that it does apply to us in every different area in life, every different degree, every different age um, in those things. Sexuality is a huge, huge um, issue. Therefore, we're going to talk about sexuality this week, and then I believe it's four weeks afterwards, maybe three weeks afterwards in December, as soon as I get back from Africa. And then the start of January, we're going to work with homosexuality and the culture um, conflicts that are taking place there and how the church is responding and uh, all the dynamics in those pieces of it. I know that some people have been waiting for that topic. Well, I'm thinking we're going to probably go all year on tough topics, just to let you know, because it's, it's going really slow, <laughs> just in a sense that uh, we're looking at it. So we're going to focus on uh, sexuality. So I came up with six reasons why the church cannot be silent on the topic of sexuality. And then it turned to eight reasons, and then it turned to ten reasons, and then it turned to twelve reasons, and that's what our lesson is today. Twelve reasons why our church cannot be silent on sexuality. And this is starting this um, before we're going into all the details and specifics. This is just going to give us a baseline of, of what's going on and 12 reasons why the church um, must respond um, to the topic. And that's what we're going to talk about. So why should the church respond to the topic? Number one, sex is a big deal in our lives, our environments, our culture, and the Bible. As much as we do not want it to be a big deal in our children's lives and how we automatically deny it that it's not a big deal in our young people's lives, it is a huge deal in their lives. If you watch a movie, almost all the movies are pointing towards at least a, a physical intimacy, a sexual intimacy, and even if they don't have sex are still often pointing towards those pieces of it. You watch a commercial, and what is a commercial? Well, if people are going to buy this product, we got to put something in there sexual so people will buy the product. We cannot stand up here and deny as a church that the culture is not a sexual culture. We cannot deny that our environments are not sexual environments and that we are not sexual people. We cannot, we cannot deny that. Um, and then another thing we cannot deny is that the Bible is full of the topic. You can't, we always tell our kids, read the Bible. Um, I was reading my Bible, Genesis. This was a children's program that took place in our church. If you read the Bible, this many books, this many pages, then you get some rewards. And if you don't read the Bible as a child, your parents can read the Bible. So I was reading the Bible to my young children, and I'm like, whoa, I can't say that. Whoa, whoa I, I can't say that. Oh my goodness, this is, this is like R-rated. And I was in the book of Genesis. Genesis talks about sex. Um, huge concepts. It doesn't slow down. There's a book in the Bible, Song of Solomon, that's just focused directly and entirely on it. You got the New Testament. Jesus is talking about sexual sin and how big it is and how huge it is and how important it is. 
And we're going to explore that for the next four weeks, but it's a huge topic. So as it is a huge topic, it is great that the culture talks about it just as long as we're quiet in the church. (laughs) That's what's happening. The culture does not not talk about it. It is just being rampart around the culture. But the church goes, oh my goodness, let's not bring this up. The sex is kind of dirty. I don't know. Let's just not even talk about it. We must talk about it. We must claim the ground. And the reason why is because God, the creator, is the one that created the act. And we need to know the dynamics of the reason for the creation. And it's not just to procreate. That's just not it. So look at the Bible, a couple passages. 1 Corinthians 10. This is a negative passage. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. Why? Because they did something really, 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 really bad. What was the really bad? Sexual immorality. That is the worst degree you can possibly have. What have... 23,000 people died just because of this immorality. That's not very good. But let's look at the other side of the page. Song of Solomon 4, 1 through 7. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behold your veil of doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats. (laughs) Whatever that looks like. (laughs) Descending from the mountain of, of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep. It's getting better. Just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has his tw- its twin. Not one of them is alone. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behold. Your veil are like the hoves of pomegranate. Your neck is like the tower of David, built with elegance. On, on it you hang thousand shields, all of them shields and warriors. You are two breasts are like two fawns, like... Twin fawns of gazelle that browse among the lilies until the day breaks and shadows flee. I will go to the mountain of myrrh and a hill of incense. All beautiful you are, my darling. There is no flaw in you. And that passage is not talking about her personality. <laughs> it's talking about her, her, her body. And that's just a portion of an entire book that's, that's written about it. Um... So you see on one side, watch out, sex is big. And you see on the other side, watch out, sex is great. And that's what's going through with the entire body, or with it, with it throughout the entire, the entire Bible. So if you have one extreme and the other extreme, the extreme of extreme pain and the extreme of extreme blessing, is it going to be important to God? My statement to you is it's probably the greatest extreme pain anybody could possibly ever go through. And it's also the most extreme blessing that anybody can ever go through. And if we don't know what the Bible says about the health of it, then we're missing out on one side. And on the other side, we could be being destroyed if we're not talking about it. So that's the reason why we talk about sex is a big deal in our lives, our environment, our culture, and the Bible, and everybody's being educated if the Bible is not being spoken of the Creator that put it together in the first place. Number two, the other reason why we need to talk about it is there is no aspect of humanity that represents more pain than sexuality. There is nothing, I think we can even look at this, there is nothing in our humanity that represents more pain than sexuality. Why would that be the case? 1 Corinthians talks about sex. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. 
All other sin a man commits outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. This means it is touching his heart, it is touching his soul, it is touching his mind or her mind in a deep, penetrating way. And I say this over and over and over. Sex is not just physical. You know, it's physical. We all know it's physical. It's not just physical. Sex is a spear that goes into your mind, that goes into your heart, and that goes into your soul. And it's the most emotional thing that you can ever do on this earth. It's the most emotional thing that can happen to you. And the examples I consistently give is a woman would rather be beat than raped. A child that receives sexual molestation when he is young impacts the minds so deep that, it stru- that, that when she is an adult, she struggles with it in a horrific way, and it does not leave. The reason why is because it is not just physical. It is the most emotional thing causing the most emotional damage to people, or it could cause the most emotional blessing. You'll never get that on TV. Every time you watch a movie, what do they say? Oh, yeah, sex here, sex here, sex here. But they don't show the emotion behind it. All they do is, yeah, you can sleep with this person. Oh, yeah, okay, now you're done with this person. You can sleep with this person. They don't see the emotional impact that happens. This verse, the psychology of this verse that Paul is saying is that sex goes so far beyond an act. It goes so far beyond a physical act. It goes to the heart of the emotions. So just to give you a kind of a graphic picture, the most sensitive physical part of your body, the most sensitive physical part of your body is your sexual organs. That's it. It's the most sensitive part of your body. The most sensitive part emotionally to your body, I'll say, is your sexual organs. We need to keep those in mind, both of those, physical and emotional This is going to go right deep into the heart, and it's going to go right deep into the soul, and the scripture talks consistently about it. So here we are, having people that are walking through life with this extremely sensitive, emotional, traumatic thing that could attack them. And as they're walking through this life with this extremely emotional, sensitive thing that could attack them, what are they doing? How are they getting through it? How are they surviving it? How are they playing with it? How are they using it? What is the culture trying to sell in regards to the most sensitive thing? We know what the culture is trying to sell. It's not good. The culture, which is Satan, is trying to sell us that it's no big deal. But it is a big deal. Letter A, people are lost in a journey of shame. Where does this journey of shame come from? Most of it can come from our sexual identity and our sexuality. People are thinking, I can never get over what I have done in the past. People are feeling sick about their past, and they knew that if they think if people even knew that something happened in the past, there's no way a person would even like me just because of, of what, we're, what I've done in the past. This um, shame is not something that, that you take on, and then all of a sudden, well, 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, it's gone. It's a shame that continues to carry through your life. When I was in high school, I bought a truck. It was a 1972 Ford three-quarter ton big truck. And, uh, and, and 
eight miles a gallon, six miles a gallon. We went up in the woods. We lived right next to the woods, and we went up the woods all the time. And uh, we took it whenever it was four-wheeling as could be. Whenever it was snowing, we went up there, and we'd take it snowing. And I tell you, I'm going to blame it on my brother. I was driving in the snow, and I was driving very conservative. And my brother, who's sitting right here, said, you know what, Mike? This is a four-wheel drive. <laughs> this thing can go do anything. I'm going, oh, yeah, you're right. You know what I did? I sped up. And when I sped up, guess what? I sped out, and then I rolled down a bank. And then I rolled over the bank, and I'll never forget my brother. he come up on the ceiling, rolled down, smashed into the bank. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I just wrecked my truck. There was a deep sense of, this is not good in me, as I was a 16-year-old person that just wiped out my truck. And sure enough, we got out, and uh, we traveled back in the snow. We got back to the town, and we got back to the town. I'm like, what are we going to do? Well, I think we're going to call a tow truck. So we went, we called a tow truck, and we got a tow truck up there, drove all the way up in the hills to do it. And, and it was actually one of my friend's dads that owned the, the tow truck shop. And, and I'll never forget the words that he said to me as I was feeling the sickness of him pulling out the truck. He said the words, Time will heal this. <laughs> you don't feel good, time will pass and it will heal. I have no emotional attachment to what took place. There's none. I've completely healed in it. Sex doesn't work that way. If something takes place when you're four years old, if something takes place when you're 10 years old, if something takes place of any sort of mistakes, time does not heal. And the world that we live in is people everywhere that is carrying the shame of something that took place so long ago and they can't get it off. Well, there's an answer, and the answer is the Bible to get rid of the shame. If the world, if the Bible is not open to talk on this topic of sex, then people will never stop their shame. People are lost on a journey of shame. Therefore, the church should be speaking about sexuality consistently and constantly to make sure that people can find freedom in Christ because it's the only thing that can wipe the shame away because time will not. Uh, letter B, people are lost in a journey of confusion. Give myself away because he said he loved me, and then all of a sudden I don't even feel loved by him. I feel used by him. After I gave myself away, it seems like I was more completely devalued but yet I should be feeling valuable because I gave myself away, and as I gave myself away to him, there's something that should happen that should connect us, but we're going to different directions. There's just confusion that has taken place in regards to sex. I thought sex was supposed to be a gift from God in the context of marriage, and sure enough, I'm married, and now that I'm married, all we do is fight about sex. Now that we're married, all we do is argue about the thing that's supposed to be the glue that holds us together, the thing that's supposed to be so wonderful. And I almost hate sex, just in a sense, because it's just an argument that takes place in our house. And I'm more sexually frustrated. I'm just talking. I'm more sexually frustrated when I'm married than when I wasn't married. I just don't understand. Is there a different avenue that's out there? See, there's just a confusion coming around. And the confusion comes from the most sensitive part of our body and the most sensitive part of our emotion, which is our sexuality. Let us see, people are lost in a journey of division. Why is sex pulling people apart in their marriage? They say, I'm living this covenant, I'm living this way that I'm supposed to live, but why is it pulling people apart? Or maybe it isn't. Maybe it is. Why would it ever pull somebody apart? 
There's dynamics that take sex that take place in sex, and this is what I'm just going to give you an example of how a married couple sex could be pulling them apart. Is there could be an individual that says, "This is what I want out of sex," and as that person says, "This is what I want out of sex," the other individual is saying, "I'm going to give it," and in the process of giving it, it's not what she wants, but she gives it because she wants to be a faithful wife, and every time it happens. It's destroying her heart, destroying her soul, and she is separating from him in a marriage relationship because they haven't talked about the subject of sex, and they don't even know why. They don't even know why that they're splitting. They don't even know they're splitting apart in regards to um, the relationship inside even the context, the context of marriage. Why are we wanting to leave our sexual relationships with my husband to pursue another? There's division in regards to sex. I have a good relationship. I have a wonderful relationship. But when I go to work, there's just this drive towards another person. What is this drive that sent me towards another person? It's a drive of division, and the enemy is using the most ultimate tool, our sexuality, to bring that wedge in the most ultimate relationship, the husband and wife relationship. People are walking through life, and people are lost on a journey of despair. Husbands and wives consistently carry sexual difficulty. Um, and what are they taking place? Maybe even a divorce. Maybe even a split. Maybe an argument. Maybe everything's just bringing up. And then all of a sudden the family splits. And as this family splits, people are with different families. From one family to another family. These things start taking place. And as they're taking place inside of us, despair, pain, and weight are happening in individuals, our children, and also in us. In letter E, people are lost in a journey of conflict. Conflict in our soul, conflict in our relationships, conflict um, with our children. Um, the word sex is a great blessing, but whenever it is even talked about often, conflict arises. And even when it is not talked about, conflict can still be there. And let me give you an example of what I'm saying by conflict still being there. Is that we raise our children, and uh, we um, see them come home after a dance and after they go to prom, what is the parent thinking? <laughs> There's conflict <laughs> in the soul. You're going to behave yourself. Don't let anybody touch you. I mean, there's just this conflict that takes place, and all of a sudden our spouse goes, well, make sure you do this, make sure you do this, make sure you do this, and then you get the conflict that comes back. Mom, Dad, for crying out loud, I am. Don't you know me? You see the conflict comes because it is such a sensitive, a sensitive thing. So what should we do? There is no aspect of humanity that represents more pain than sexuality, and we need to know that, that it is an issue, and it is extremely painful if something happens and something takes place. Again, we'll be working through that the next four weeks. Another reason why we should be talking about sex, the church should be talking about sex, is there's no aspect of humanity that represents more blessing than sexuality. No aspect that represents more blessing in sexuality. Um, I'm going to say a radical term, and you guys are going to have to come and listen to all the next classes to try to understand that, but the gospel is written inside of our sexuality. The gospel is written inside of our sexuality. There is a gift that has been given to us by God that is showing what the bride and the bridegroom looks like that we get along for when we see Christ in the day that we see him. More of that, we'll get more of that and try to give an understand, a deeper understanding of that in the next couple of weeks when I get back. 
But the Bible is about sex because it is a gift that means a lot. And if we look at it in the context of the word, we can find the blessings of it. And if we obey it in the context of the word, we can find the blessings in our relationships as well. Proverbs 5, 15. Is sex dirty? Well, you can't read this verse and say it is. Drink water from your own cistern. He's saying go after it. Flowing water from your own wells. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself and yourself alone, and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always with his love. There is a gift that has been given to us inside the bounds of marriage, and it is the greatest gift given to, I would even say, mankind beyond salvation. But we can often think, I wonder, is this a gift or is it only uh, for procreation? Well, we can automatically think that way if we're not trying to dig into the Word. But we should unfold the harmony of the gift that God has given us and be on the offensive with the gift rather than the defensive and say, we got to hold on to this. we got to use it. we got to use it to get connected. we got to use it to grow. we got to use it to fill. we got to use it for, I mean, all the reasons. Why? Letter A. Because every person in this world wants to be wanted. Every person in this world wants to be wanted. Men, what do you like from your wives? When your wife comes to you and says, I need you. I like you around me. I want you to be next to me. I want you to be connected to me. I want to know your heart. When a man hears that, I'll just tell you because I'm speaking of a man. And I know ladies have different emotions of those things going through, but I'm just speaking for a man because I'm a man. I am drawn to my wife. Why? Because I want to be wanted. And then all of a sudden, if my wife says, boy, I can't wait until tonight you get home from church. Oh, what's that going to do to a guy like me? Sex, I hate to say it, communicates that I'm wanted. Sex communicates a powerful degree that I want it. You can say that all the time. I really want you. I really want you. I really want you. And not act like it. But sex is the display of it inside of a marriage. It's a blessing that God has given us because we all want to be wanted. And who should we want to be wanted by? Wanted by our wives. Wanted by our husbands. And then we can look on the negative side of that. Any sort of image that is sexual any sort of display that takes place on TV or in pornographic image, what are they saying? You are desired by me. That's what the display is. Why? Because it's speaking to our heart. It's speaking to our souls, not our body, because we're starving to be wanted. But the climax of it is sex that makes a statement, I want to be wanted. Every person says, I, am, um, I want to be loved. I'm saying this in the wrong, wrong direction. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm making my statements backwards. I'm just going to start switch by making my statements. Every heart is crying, I, want, um, I am wanted, and that's what sex says. Sex says, I am loved. Whenever you are, um, have sex has taken place, it is a direct, physical, ultimate statement that says, you are, you are loved. That's why ladies are giving themselves away when they're young at age. It's not because they want, have all these feelings inside of them that they want to do. They have this feeling that I want to be loved, and if a male gives himself away, the statement in their mind 
is I am loved because I gave myself away. Sex says I am needed. Sex says I am valued. Sex says I'm respected. Do you see what's taking place here? Is that sex is not just physical. Sex is a crying of the heart that if we do it inside the marriage context and inside the word of God, it is saying something. It's saying I'm valued. It's saying I'm respected. Sex is saying that I'm honored. Sex is saying that I am beautiful. And sex is saying that I am, I am known. This is the cry for everybody's heart as they're walking on this earth. This is the cry to be wanted, to be loved, to be needed, to be valued, to be respected, to be honored, to be beautiful, and to be known. And God has given us this in the context of marriage, intimacy, one man, one woman in this context. And if you do it right, you will feel wanted, you will feel loved, you will feel valued, you will feel respected, you will feel honored, you will feel beautiful, and you will feel known. There is a blessing that comes in regards to sex that is the greatest blessing you can ever have. And the reason why is because it speaks to your emotions. It speaks to your heart. It speaks to your soul as long as it's used in the right context. And the culture gives us the right context. See if you guys are listening. The culture does not give us the right context. The word gives us the right context. And the word must be read inside the context of the blessing that God has given us to. Number four, another reason why um, sexuality needs to be talked about um, silence reinforces the belief that sexuality is dirty and ungodly. Silence says something every time. If I walked up here and said, okay, we got discipleship class and we'll be done in about 10 minutes, and I stood up there and I said nothing, you guys would be going crazy. Because <laughs> you got, well, what do we do? What do we say? Where do we go? He's saying, what's going on? Something's going on in his head. Something has taken place. Silence always says nothing. In fact, silence often says something more than words. And the reason why is because we come to our own conclusion if silence is there. So this is what's taking place in the church, is that silence can be taken in regards to the topic of sex. And as silence has taken place in regards to the topic of sex, everybody is in their own mind creating what it's supposed to be like when the word is not spoken. And when everybody in their own mind starts to be creating of what it's supposed to be looking like, where are they going to get it? They're going to get it from their desires. And then we're going to get the media talking about it as well, selling things. Silence is making a statement. Sex is dirty. That might come up in your mind. Sex is clean and good. And homosexuality is not bad at all. Where do we get something like that? It comes from our own mind, not from the Word of God. You see, what happens is if the church is silent, all our minds start working. And when all our minds start working, I hate to say it, they get pretty creative because they're full of sin. And the creativeness of them starts to go in a whole bunch of different directions. Directions from what? Directions from homosexuality? Is that the Bible? We're going to talk about homosexuality. Just tell you, homosexuality is the word speaks completely and entirely against it. But our culture says it's okay. And if our culture says it's okay, well, it might be okay. But if the church is not speaking, then people think, oh, maybe it is okay. Same way with different things that come to our mind. We are, um, you cannot be out there to defend your own mind. And if church is silent, you will, your mind will rise. And if our mind rises, whatever is in our mind um, it will come up and we'll call it truth. Therefore, the Bible must be spoken about it. 
Number five, the church's silence teaches us to hold on to our secrets, struggles, and questions, which result in isolation, guilt, and shame. The gospel screams, shouts, bold, one word. And you know what that word is? The word is, the word is freedom. The word is freedom. And why would you say freedom? How come you wouldn't say salvation? <laughs> because salvation is freedom. Salvation is freedom. What sin does is sin binds you and builds guilt inside you. What sin does is it builds shame inside of you. What sin does is it builds addictions inside of you. What sin does is it builds hate inside of you. It builds anger inside of you. It builds depression inside of you. And you can be saved from it by the gospel of living God who went to the cross, died and rose, and say salvation is yours. That's what the Bible is screaming. Is what? Is freedom through salvation. And if the church is silent about it, then what's going to take place? People are not going to find freedom. People are not going to find freedom that they need. Now, when you hear the word freedom in the culture, you think, well, freedom in regards to my mind, freedom in homosexuality, freedom in, freedom in, in, uh, um, in, in sex before marriage, freedom in, in, in uh, living together before we get married. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about freedom. Because every time you sin, the chains of sin grab a hold of you. But the Word of God talks about life, talks about freedom, and salvation is given to us, and the Word is given to us to build that freedom and harvest that freedom inside of the Word. That's what the Bible is about. So therefore, we cannot be silent about it, because if we're silent about it, we will automatically go to the guilt, we'll automatically go to the shame. 2 Corinthians 7.10, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves zero regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. If you want one verse to memorize, this is a verse that you should memorize. Looking at this, godly sorrow brings repentance leading to salvation. There's going to be a sorrow that takes place if you mess up sexually. There's going to be a sorrow that takes place if you mess up in any regards to sin. And what that's called is that's called a conscience. And when that conscience comes, what are you supposed to do? You are supposed to respond to God, bring it to God, and say, God, wipe that conscience clean, wipe that sin away, and help me not to commit it again. I want that sin out. And if that takes place, you're going to walk in freedom. Or are you going to walk in freedom? No, because there's another sorrow. There's a sorrow that you go to God, and when you say, God, I messed up sexually, I sinned, please forgive me, wipe my guilt away, wipe my sin away, and he did it. He did it. But when you walk away, there's still that guilt. What's that guilt? The last part of this passage, the worldly sorrow produces death. That's the guilt from Satan. See, what happens when we talk about sexuality, what happens is something can happen sexually. If it does happen, guilt is there. But we have a God that died for that guilt, died for that sin, and can wash it completely away, and does wash it away. And then we walk out and we feel what? Guilty still. Who's that from? That's from the enemy. You see the two different kind of guilts that we work with, that we're dealing with? Uh, number six, the culture seems to have a more compelling, understandable, consistent guide than the church does. We must talk about sex because the culture, yeah, people are going to respond to this, seems to have a more compelling, understandable, and consistent guide than the church. Why would the culture 
have a more compelling, consistent guide than the church. The reason why is because we are sinful individuals. And inside of being a sinful individuals, there is desires that are going to come. And there's desires that are going to come. And as they're coming, what's going to take place? We are going to want to migrate to those desires. Well, the devil has taken full advantage on that. And the way the devil has taken full advantage on it is they just feed it. Feed the desires. Go after the desires. We live in a world of freedom. The Bible speaks about freedom, therefore you can do whatever you would like. No, that's, not, that's definitely not the case. But in our mind, our emotions, our heart, our sin is connected with that. And if a sin is connected with that, when the culture brings the advertisement, it is drawing our way. So therefore, if we are going to combat our feelings and our emotions, what do we need to do? We need to be in the Word to go this direction as the culture is selling us this direction. The culture seems to have a more compelling, understandable, and consistent guide than we do. How does it have a more compelling, consistent guide? If we don't speak, we have no guide. We have to speak because there is no guide if we are not speaking. And then what? The culture owns us. And when the statements come up of homosexuality, when statements come up of cohabitation, we're like, well, yeah, we can do that. If there is not a guide, and if we're not speaking, there is no guide. If there's no guide, our feelings and our emotions will directly go to that direction. Letter B, our teaching is focused on don'ts, not the do's. Um, We all know that there's a sexual drive in us. And when there is a sexual drive in us, I'm not talking about all churches, but I'm going to bring up the church in general. The church does what? Don't, 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 don't. Let's talk about sex. What do we hear? Don't have sex before your marriage. Don't cohabitate. Don't, 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 don't. And all those don'ts are being displayed out to every single person. And persons, I'll just tell you the world, they get confused with Christianity. The reason why they get confused with Christianity is because they're like, I have this awesome feeling, I have this awesome drive, I have this whole emotion, and if I show up to church, the church is going to do what? It's going to shut it down. It's going to shut it down. People don't understand that. Our kids don't understand it. They don't understand when you say, don't, 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 that it's going to be healthy, 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 because we're sitting here having these feelings, having these emotions, and having these desires. So how should we speak in that regards? Don't ever forget that sex is created by God, designed by God for the greatest blessing in the entire world. We have to speak in that regard. And what I mean by speak in that regard is we have to speak offensively, and I'm going to go through this when we're talking about how to talk about sex to, um, to our kids, but we have to speak offensively, not defensively. Not only defensively, we must speak offensively. How would we speak offensively? You have a kid that um, is uh, junior high, and he has sexual desires. And as these sexual desires are taking place, how can you speak offensively and say, don't, 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 don't? The way you can speak offensively is that God has an awesome design. God has an awesome blessing. God has something that he is going to gift you with that is going to be really, really good. And it is in the harmony of his word because he's created those feelings into you. Therefore, by waiting Therefore, by studying and trying to understand your sexuality in a sense of in a marriage context, it is going to be good, it's going to be whole. If we just say don't, 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 we confuse. 
We've got to say, do, 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 because it's going to bring health in response to our sexuality. We can't just shut down and say it's not a feeling, it's not an emotion, and it's not something that's healthy, because according to the Word of God, it is. Letter C, we act confused, divided, and yet very opinionated. Culture has a more compelling, understandable, and consistent guide because when you start talking to the church, the church gets really like, oh, I, uh, I don't know. Um, should we, is masturbation wrong? Um, oh, I don't know. Some person say, absolutely. Other person say, absolutely not. It's, you know, when you start talking about the concepts of oral sex, is it right? Is it wrong? I don't know. Well, what does the Bible say? Well, whatever we feel like, we say very, very strongly. And then the other side says very, very strongly. But yet we're reading the same Bible. And we're getting confused. Why would we ever get confused? It's because the Bible's not teaching. The Bible must be teaching it. We must be finding it in the Word of God, and it has to be spoken from the church. Uh, one area that we um, have confused people is the church makes a statement that, you know, modest is hottest. Um, you tell that to a junior high boy. You tell that to a young man who's married to his wife. Modest is not the hottest. Men like naked. I'm sorry, just to, say, just to say that. That is the way that God has designed us, but we don't want to say that out loud, men, because, and the girls are thinking, well, I've got to be modest. Well, hold on a second. That's not what you should have in your marriage. That's not what you should have in your, your relationship. Um, yes, it's in the confines of marriage, but we can be saying statements, and as we're saying statements, people's minds are working in regards to our sexuality, and we're thinking, well, the Bible always talks about modest. Well, not in con- the context of a relationship. A marriage relationship is not talking about the context of modest. Um, number seven, the reason why we need to talk about sex is our post-marital sex is destroying more, people li- more people's lives than our premarital sex. Ouch. Might disagree with that. But it's true. Whenever we talk about sex, what do we hear? Raise your hand. Wait. Everybody, wait until they are married. Um, That is correct. I just want everybody to hear this top of my lung. Wait until you are married. That is God's plan for you. And when you get married in the confounds of a marriage relationship, that is when sex takes place and not before. I have two daughters, and what do I teach them? Wait until you get married. I just want to say that. But if that is the only thing I say, am I going to ruin my daughters? I just want to read this one story because we make statements, and when we're making statements, we're thinking everything's going to be good and everything's going to be fixed. But I just want to read this one story about this, this one girl and, um, that um, signed up for, I will wait until I'm married. At the age of 10, I took a pledge at my church alongside a group of other girls to remain a virgin until I was married. The church taught me that sex was for married people. Extramarital sex was sinful and dirty, and I'd go to hell if I did it. My virginity became my identity. By the time I hit my teen years, when I met with my boyfriend, now husband, I told him right away I was saving myself from marriage, and he was fine with that because it was my body and my choice to be loved. We were together for six years before we got married. Anytime we did anything remotely sexual, guilt overwhelmed me. I lost my virginity on my wedding night with my husband, just as I had promised that day when, 10 years ago, when I made that commitment 10 years ago. 
I stood in a hotel bathroom beforehand, wearing my white lingerie, thinking, I made it. I'm a good Christian. There was no chorus of angels, no shining light from heaven. It was just me and my husband in a dark room fumbling with a condom and bottom of, a bottle of lube for the first time. Sex hurt. I knew it would. Everyone told me it would be uncomfortable the first time. What they did not tell me is that I would be back into the bathroom afterwards, crying quietly for reasons I did not comprehend. I don't go to church anymore. I'm not religious. As I started to heal, I realized that I couldn't figure out how to be both religious and sexual at the same time. I chose sex. And I'm now thoroughly convinced that the entire concept of virginity is used to control my female sexuality. If you could go back, if you could go back, I would not wait. If I could go back, I would not wait. I would have sex within my boy, with then boyfriend, now husband, and I wouldn't go to hell for doing it. We should say, wait to our children. But there's something else that we should say to our children as well. The whole story was not given to this lady. The only story is given is wait, 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 wait. And she did it. And when she was successful in doing it, she now lives in a relationship that does what? That even brings conviction on her. She said the words, I don't know how to be religious and sexual at the same time. Why? Because I train myself to be religious and make sure that sexuality is completely taken out of my life. And all of a sudden, in one day, I'm married and the sparks are supposed to be flying. Everything is supposed to be good. Everything is supposed to be wonderful. And I'm in the bathroom crying for some reason. And when I'm in the bathroom crying, I'm now going to start live this life, this sexual life of what sex was presented to me when I was 10 years old, 11, 12, 13, all the way up till I was 25, and then I hand myself away, and I don't hear anything else from the church teaching me to do anything. What's taken place in many, many marriages is that shame does not go away after marriage happens. We train our mind from the Bible, don't, 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 and then all of a sudden we get switched. Marriage takes place, do, 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 and people in this world are responding, does God know even what he's talking about? This person rejected Christianity. The reason why this person rejected Christianity is because I've got to have freedom in my sexuality when I'm married. And is God a God of freedom? Is sex dirty? Is sex not dirty? Purity does not equal mind-blowing sex, but often that's a time we say as a stronghold to say, if you wait, you will have mind-blowing sex as soon as you get married. That is going to be your best sex that you're ever going to take place only if you wait. Now, if you don't wait, oh my goodness, your sex is going to be bad for the rest of your life. What's happening is that is a lie that the church has really given us and people are being confused in a sense of getting married, trying to walk through a life of sexual relationship five years, ten years, twelve years, and they never had the mind-blowing sex. And they start to wonder. They start to think. They start to imagine. What's taking place? What's happening? Shame and inhibition disappears with marriage um, is a lie. During your youth years, you are taught to say, then during your marriage, you are taught to say with enthusiasm. You're supposed to say, no, 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 no. Then you're married. You're supposed to enthusiasm, enthusiasm. No, we have to be trained in it. We have to be taught in it. Um, 
Number eight, the reason why a church needs to talk, I need to go a lot faster because I'm out of time. The church needs to shift the challenge from combating sexual problems to proclaiming and modeling um, sacred sexuality. We're going after the problems, but remember who the creator is. We, <laughs> the creator has designed it for a blessing, for an offensive weapon. So instead of combating the sexual problems, we need to proclaim the, sexual, uh, the sacred sexuality that takes place that God has designed for us. Moving really quickly, number nine, the lack of discussion is sweeping our children away. That is very obvious. The reason why a church needs to talk about it is because our kids are being swept away. The lack of discussion is sweeping away our marriages. If the church is silent, marriages are disappearing, and we see that consistently inside the churches, and the church needs to talk because the lack of discussion um, needs to talk because, number 12, our sexuality has been created by God, and the church must reclaim the territory of God's design and intention, not the world's. If the church is silent about sexuality, the church will go a direction because people will go a direction. And we see that in America. And how you say, oh, how do we see it in America? We are a country that is a churched country. We are a, a Christian nation more so than even other nations. We are a country that goes to church. We are a country who is religious as much as the news say we're not. We are a country that is proclaiming Christianity. But yet look at the ballots and look what we're voting on. Look at where the country is going. And we can say, those people that don't know Jesus is driving the country into a direction. I would say the people that do know Jesus could be driving the country into a direction, and the direction is not the Word of God. Many churches have now migrated towards the direction of sexual sin that the Bible prohibits and says, well, this is what the Bible says, and it's not what the Bible says, and it's being voted on, and laws are taking place. Therefore, if the church is silent, people will migrate, and as people migrate, people will vote. Churches will migrate. As churches migrate, churches will vote, and it's going to be in a direction that's contrary to the Word of God. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks in regards to um, our sexuality.